Welcome to The Brown Girls Journal, a bi-weekly podcast turning our entries into conversations. We're your hosts. My name is Rodlin. And my name is Anushka. And today we're going to be talking about Taylor Swift. We'll be dissecting our journey growing up with the country superstar. Taylor Swift as a political figure. And what exactly makes her a quote-unquote problematic fave. y'all so you probably think that this entire episode is going to be us singing praises to folklore which is taylor's um eighth full-length album that she dropped as a surprise in august and you're not entirely wrong but we did choose this topic prior to the release because we kind of just feel that taylor swift is this cultural icon that honestly has shaped our generation whether you love her or you hate her in some way Taylor Swift has factored into these formative years of our lives Um, so we just wanted to really dig into that and kind of figure out why so to start things off Anushka do you want to tell us how you feel about folklore um amazing spectacular I could literally sing praises about it all day Um, literally the lady gaga meme that's like amazing fabulous never (laughs) been done before that's exactly what i was thinking of especially as a fan of red i just feel like that was my favorite album and this is like red taken to the next level like it's the completely moody aspects of red she just took out all of the cheesy pop like out of red and then just made it like the whole thing times two and i love that i'm really digging this new kind of phase that she's entered with her songwriting and just really tapping into like this overall feeling of melancholy that we have during quarantine and her like almost like the indie version of her country music, if that makes Mm. sense. And especially since I love alternative music. It's just a match made in heaven. It suits her voice so well. Yeah, I honestly feel like when she ventured from country, this is kind of the turn that I expected from her. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with every album, this has kind of been what I was like, all right, maybe the next album is going to be like this. Maybe the next album is going to be like this. And... Definitely reputation was not this, I think. (laughs) Reputation is the antithesis of folklore, kind of where I fell off the bandwagon, to be completely honest. But, I mean, I'm right back on now. I am driving the horse and buggy. (laughs) I am, yeah, to the hills with this album. Um, I think that it just showcases everything that she does so well, Mm -hmm. musically and lyrically. And the way that this feels confessional in a way that's not over the top or obvious I think there's a lot of things that she's doing in this album that are so subtle that you can kind of thread certain autobiographical threads from reputation and also lover but here they're really I don't know this just feels like the meat of everything that she's been wanting to say for a while I think yeah, definitely. <clears throat> it feels like a really good introduction to her, like, as an adult, mm-hmm. which sounds weird to say, even though, like, she's literally been an adult for so long. But her past albums, I feel like, were very 
I think even if she did believe them in them, I think to some extent they were quite like catering to a mainstream pop mm-hmm. audience, which is not a bad thing. Definitely not. She does that really well. But I think this is like tapping into like what she would do if she didn't care about what anybody is thinking. At least that's what it feels like. And it also really in a weird way, although this is like new for her, I do feel like it goes back to why we even started listening to her in the first place mm-hmm. when we were younger because her lyrics were so vulnerable. And it's cool to see them about stories that she's literally just made up. Like, I think that's really cool. And also totally fucks with the notion that she cannot write outside of, like, her own life or not about love. All of those things that people say that she's just been writing on the coattails of whatever drama she's stirring up in the, like, media. Right, and I think it speaks so much to how it was made. So let's not forget that this was made completely in isolation, completely within the corona lockdown world. And I think that that shows so much in how much she's able to be vulnerable with the lyrics and how much there was an absence of outside influence that is pressuring her into this mold and pressuring her into these narratives. Um, I think that similar to what you were saying, a lot of her previous work has been on the nose maybe in some way and I think that she's been able to play with things and dance around things a lot more and be really you know creatively liberated with this album well I think it's appropriate to start out talking about how we basically grew up with Taylor Swift and I just wanted to kind of talk about first, what does Taylor Swift mean in relation to your girlhood, in your opinion? Oh my god, why don't you just open my diary and read it? Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I remember the first time that I encountered this Miss Taylor Swift. It was just after the release of the music video for Teardrops on My Guitar. There she is, laying in her bed in a freaking green satin ball gown (laughs) hugging her guitar that (laughs) presumably she is crying on hence teardrops on my guitar crying about a boy drew and i was like hey this girl's crying about boys i cry about boys too sometimes and it was just one of those things where you know when you're a teenage girl you think that you're so misunderstood by everyone and i was like hey that's me and she understands me and she understands all this drama that I'm going through that I think that is the end of the world because I'm a teenager. (laughs) As someone who writes poetry and someone who is oriented towards love poetry, she kind of gave me this permission to make that a valid topic of my writing and something that could be taken seriously by the public and the mainstream. And of course, it's interesting to look at the fact that she is a straight white woman and all of her experiences in some way shape or form even if she was a young girl even if she was a woman would be validated by the mainstream and it's it's really interesting to to see how many people who are also part of marginalized identities still resonated so much with her there was just such a universality there yeah and it's funny that you talk about love because i 
very distinctly remember my friend showing me that song on her iPod. Yes. TBT. Um, her iPod Nano. She had a cool iPod. <laughs> no, literally she had an iPod Nano and I was so jealous. But anyways, that's a side note. But um, we were on the playground and after I heard this song, I was like... You know, the thing that I didn't actually take away from it was that she was crying over boys because I was not crying over boys at that age. But I was I... born crying over boys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I did take away from it was kind of like this is my entry point to understanding what it means to be an American girl. Mm. Like as cliche as that sounds, but it really made me think like, oh, all of my friends are obsessing over this song. I have no idea who this girl is, but I need to get to know her because I want to be her. I want to be that girl that everybody's talking about. I want to be, like, basically um, fitting in with this mold of what everyone likes. And because all my friends liked her, thereby I liked her. And, of, of course, like, I eventually also just liked her on my own. But I think it's so interesting because, like, especially when you share music, a lot of times it's just, like, what are other people listening to? You know, that's how you start... That's That was kind of my entry point into music, actually, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And it's so interesting to think, like, Taylor Swift means girlhood. Taylor Swift means, yeah, what it means to be a girl in America. And I think that, in a way, a lot of what she taught us through our songs then became this blueprint for how to... Mm-hmm be a teenage girl what does it mean to be loved what does it mean not to be loved and how do we how do we handle those dynamics how do we handle heartbreak do we lash out or do we break down in despair do we slide down a brick wall as in white (laughs) horse everyone knows what I'm talking about um yeah I think she just became this like larger than life but also so close to us person Mm -hmm. there was an intimacy there yeah, exactly. And I think part of how that intimacy was kind of built was just even how her music was released and how we all felt like we were in on this little like Taylor Swift fan club. And that was like a thing that bonded us. Like I distinctly remember being in a car with my friends and we were I don't know our mom or my friend's mom was driving us somewhere who knows where and we were passing around her CD in the car um singing along to all of the songs and yeah it just it really brings back this picture of sisterhood Mm -hmm. in like as cliche as that sounds right and I even think I totally remember like me waiting in my very pink room eagerly for my dad to come home (laughs) the day that a Taylor Swift album was released, probably on the 13th, because that was her lucky number, and everyone knew that. And I remember (laughs) just, like, tearing through the plastic wrapping and getting my hands on those little lyric books that she had, because she always embedded these codes into the lyric book, and there were these random letters that were capitalized in each song that would spell out a code and I would literally pour over those little codes and write them out in my journal and try to figure out what what each of them was saying and I think that in a way she made her music such an interactive experience that you Mm -hmm. really felt like you were doing it just with her or that you were reading her diary when in reality 
there were thousands of teenage girls yeah. and boys doing the same thing in their bedrooms. Yeah, definitely. And even like those videos on YouTube, I remember like like literally going through them for hours, watching them over and over again. It was like behind the scenes of all of her music videos and just her like basically vlogging, which is just hilarious to think about. But yeah, it it just really grew this personal relationship with her even though she is very much a like huge icon at the same time there was kind of this like parasocial relationship that was being built a one-sided relationship with her where we felt really close to her and like her whatever she was doing really impacted us a lot she's always had this accessibility to her that i think that a lot of celebrities don't really grant fans and that's interesting because she does have a very private and very controlled way of looking and interacting on social media but the way that her product and the way that her music is marketed to us is so personal and I think like what you were saying before this notion that we grew up with her and that we watched her grow up is really demonstrated by (laughs) this really funny phenomenon um that I think played out a lot with our friend Ashley where we would be like oh yeah I was at the red concert were you and she'd be like no but I was at the fearless concert and so these very theatrical concerts that she put on became these markers of time for us in our trajectory throughout teenagehood um and in a way I guess that also bonded us all together and kind of made us feel like we were experiencing this singular experience with her. Mm -hmm. And in a weird way, I think, at least for me, because I felt so bonded to her, I also, that almost manifested itself in like me wanting to then be like her. Mm. And it wasn't just enough to be like friends with her, quote unquote. It was like I had to be her, Mm -hmm. which sounds really scary, like, looking back. But I think in my subconscious, I definitely not only thought of her as, like, you know, a model for or template for the American girl, but also what the American girl should look like. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like, she was white. She had blonde hair for the longest time. I don't know why I thought this was going to be a good look for me, but I would have died to have curly hair. And, And then, but then at the drop of a hat, when she got bangs and had straight hair in I think it was back to December that music video if you know it oh my god you know that's when she changed her look and I was there for it I was like I will support you and I want that to be my hair now excuse me while I just trudge into the snow forever (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so I don't know it's it's really interesting how that also you know might have become you know also a sort of toxic way of looking at my role models like no longer was she just a role model but she was kind of like my idol yeah and I mean speaking of toxicity we definitely picked up or at least I can speak for myself I definitely picked up a few toxic notions of love from her um these notions that you always deserve and always should get the guy that you want that you should hate the other girl whether that be the girl that your crush is dating or the girl that he just was dating or the girl that he dates after you um I think that A pitfall, I suppose, of autobiographical music is that you're always a protagonist of your own story. And I think that 
in being so in having such a malleable mind as a teenage girl you also buy into that and you you kind of don't have the foresight to see that oh like there are all these moving factors beyond me and outside of me that I am not the central force um like around which it orbits and I think that that's something that I'm even undoing now um these notions of being the protagonist you know sometimes you are the person who fucks up or you're someone who isn't supposed to be in a situation no matter how much you wanted to but I think that so often the narratives that she fed to us made me really believe that that was the way it should be um and I think that because of the way that those stories were fed to us it really took away the nuance of what are the other perspectives in these stories are you always the one who is being wronged or are there other explanations for what happened you know um but I think that's also a reflection of the nuances that she was robbed of I think that you know since she became such a megastar almost overnight there was this pressure for her to kind of present as a one-dimensional version of herself to the general public and I think that was a sweet girl who always smiled who nodded and agreed with everyone who didn't put up a fight who didn't speak out or speak up and I think that that really showed in how she was perceived and how she wasn't taken seriously especially in realms like politics yes something that that made me think of was well it actually made me think of a couple things so one i feel like her like some one stereotype that i or i guess it wasn't really a stereotype it was more of a trope that i picked up from her was this idea of having like a best friend turned lover Mm. and i guess that's kind of like also just a cliche like writing (laughs) like kind of trope um but I remember the You Belong With Me video. I I just thought that in my head, I don't know, like, for so long, I kept that, like, stinking idea in my head that, like, whoever I was going to fall in love with, they had to be my best friend first. Mm -hmm. And then also, they had to like somebody who wasn't me. Like, I just (laughs) thought that that was, like, the literal script. I don't know why I took it so literally. But that's, like, kind of what you do when you're young. But also, kind of what you were saying of, like, her also being robbed of nuance, I think... Her genius is in writing very simple, catchy lyrics that also, in a way, are so concise in depicting an image Mm -hmm. or a story. So, for example, like, she'll write a small detail that will just give you this whole image of a story. And that's, like, super talent. Like, honestly, that is her talent, is her lyricism. But I think the, you know, the flip side of that, like you were saying, is then her product ultimately became who she was, which is not the case when you're an artist like it's a version of yourself Mm -hmm. but it's not like your entire being and like you said it's like because we had such cultivated you know intimate relationships with her through her product then we thought that that was also all of who she was when that really wasn't the case and like you said she ultimately once she started dabbling in other things like politics so it starts disrupting all of these notions that we have of her for example one thing that she talked about in this documentary that's on netflix it's called miss americana you guys should all check it out it's a very interesting watch and we have lots of thoughts on it um but one thing she talked about in the documentary was her having this persona of being a good girl and i think like a lot of 
that moral code that she presented then had to be, you know, disrupted in order for in order for her to even step into the realm of politics, I should say. How do you think your relationship to her was affected by her coming into her political self? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess I would say that I didn't even really realize how apolitical she was while I was a teenager because it wasn't something that I was expecting from her. I think she very successfully created that image of herself of, I'm a good girl and I just uh, write love songs and I am a country artist and I am sad about boys um, that really people weren't expecting that from her to have that political voice. I think that when... I started really noticing that lack and that absence of her own political opinions was when I was also emerging into my political self in college, being at a predominantly white institution and really interrogating race and my relationship to race and me being a brown person in America for the first time. Um, And I think that this also really aligned with her political awakening um, during the Tennessee midterm elections when Marsha Blackburn, um, who was a Republican, was running for Senate. Um, And this was something that Taylor was really grappling with as someone who believes in women's rights. Um, And I guess that was the first time that the active stifling of her voice was something that she was ready to challenge. But I guess, like, something that I've been wondering, and I'm curious to hear about what you have to say, Anushka, is this emergence into a political self, and her as this gargantuan icon um, who has global influence, and kind of, is there a responsibility on her part to kind of speed up the process of coming into her political self as someone who has such a huge platform. Um, She's said in the past a lot that um, she wanted to educate herself before speaking out to 200 million people or however many people are in her fan base. Um, But knowing how much influence she does have what do you think is her responsibility to kind of get there, you know? Yeah, I think her political evolution is very interesting because I think for a lot of us, actually most of us, I would say, 2016 was probably the tipping point if you already weren't, you know, starting to reckon with your political politics and that identity. That's probably when you started. So I think even seeing her trajectory into this political self, unfortunately, her reckoning started after having a really traumatic experience um, and having a really high profile court case that made her a huge figure in the Me Too movement. But it does, I do have to say, she felt emboldened enough to talk about Marsha Blackburn after that, you know, on the platform of women's rights. Um, After clearly having a great reception, which she should definitely have gotten after 
being a part of the Me Too movement, and I definitely do not want to invalidate any of her experiences with that. But it is interesting to note what entry points we have into our political identities, right? So for her, that's when that's when she felt ready, I guess, to st really step into that. And I have to say, I remember even when all of that stuff with the Tennessee midterm elections was happening because I happened to go to school in Nashville and it was crazy. This scene in the documentary of where she's posting on Instagram to basically get people to register to vote was really interesting in the documentary and I definitely want to break that down more but on the other side of it I remember knowing a lot of people who were working on the campaign um, as college students and then out of nowhere just her posting on Instagram really got like thousands of people to register to vote like within a day which was like insane and it just goes to show that I think that while I do realize that it's really important to educate yourself especially as a high-profile celebrity before speaking out I do think that she had some type of obligation where she had opportunities to educate herself beforehand and and do that work personally before she spoke out but she just never felt any pressure to right until that point and I remember in the documentary her you know acting all innocent and being like oh do you think this is helping after she posted and it's kind of ridiculous to believe her like not being self-aware about her platform when in reality she knew the extent of how powerful her platform was because she knew w what a mistake would cost her right but in the opposite direction she should have known that a positive action could also have so many consequences for the better i think that something that she honed in on so much in the documentary was the threat of turning out like the Dixie Chicks, who were extremely cancelled by the country industry after making a very small comment about George W. Bush. Um, and I think that that was the threat that she was holding on to. But as you say, her honestly virtually empire was so large that that honestly wouldn't have had the same outcome had she spoken about something that left a bad taste in people's mouths um i think as you were saying like you don't just sell out stadiums globally and not think that your actions could have good consequences you know like we also in relation to the dixie chicks um we are living in this post me too or me too era and i think that they obviously had a lot more at stake with that right now it has been really normalized for women to speak out and not saying that it's not difficult and has not been difficult for them and that it doesn't have ramifications but it's definitely has a lot more support now yeah and to what you were saying about entry points i think that of course, it makes sense that a point of trauma in her life was what galvanized her into speaking out because the personal is political. But I think that there was also a quote in the documentary that rubbed me the wrong way. She said, 
It's not that I want to step into this. I just can't not at this point. And I think that it's Mm. so interesting that there had to be this tipping point or this barrier that had to be crossed and she had to be, you know, wronged in a very personal and a very intimate and violent way for her to speak out. I think that exactly what you were saying about entry points, our entry points are simply living as brown people in America (laughs) and hers has been this really like horrible thing that happened to her and I think that it also goes to show those layers of privilege that she could avoid all of these things that were happening up until this point where she feels that she could just can't not (laughs) yeah something that really struck me was that scene where she was trying to explain to basically all the old white men who were working on her team um and including her dad and she was trying to explain to them why she felt it was so important to speak out and she had to list all of these things about women's rights and rights and then when she talked about stalking she literally pointed at herself and to demonstrate that like she was personally affected by like a political figure um not standing up for like protection of women and so that was also really interesting because it's like well there are so many things that you aren't personally affected by but even in her having to relay what is important for her to speak out to and convince other people of what is important for her to speak right and i mean like it's the same exact conversation of trying to explain why black lives matter to white people yeah um Yes, and to your point about posting on Instagram, I hated how dramatic that was. (laughs) Um, For context, this is about her posting in support of the Democratic candidate in the Tennessee midterm election and telling people to go out and vote, I think, a day before the election. Um, Yeah, it was, like, very close. Yeah, and it was... There were huge headlines about Taylor Swift breaking her political silence. Um, <laughs> and it was very dramatic, this idea of her posting the the Instagram post that was showing her support. And I think that in that scene, it just encapsulated white feminism. So clearly, you know, thinking that your reputation can be torn down by speaking out, but also in the same vein, having your reputation be the only thing on the line when Mm -hmm. speaking out Um, and it not being imminent danger to your body or not even, you know, I think that it just felt really superfluous what she was deeming as a sacrifice in this time in which women could potentially under Marsha Blackburn have very concrete very you know violent consequences to her winning yeah yeah I mean yeah I mean she did talk about like stalking and stuff but like if you saw the scene itself she was literally sitting inside a beautiful mansion home and she was surrounded by people like her mother and her drinking PR person, wine and like literally drinking wine all white women <laughs> and like very clearly a celebrity that is shielded from the world and like you said like her livelihood wasn't on the line 
in that moment. She was not in any physical danger by speaking up in that moment. Yeah, and I guess in saying all of this, I do want to touch upon this idea that was presented to us in Miss Americana of Taylor Swift being a passive figure, of her Mm -hmm. being a victim of all these oppressing forces that were stifling her voice. And as much as I am sympathetic to the notion of men and other people being super paternalistic about what a woman can and cannot do, I'm also wondering about how much of her muzzling was her own doing. I think that she knew that it was much safer for her to you know, stay quiet and keep her head down. And I think that there were points where she didn't want to jeopardize herself and her career in the name of justice and equality, you know? Yeah, Yeah, and it's interesting, too, that that is the direction of the narrative of the documentary, especially because she gets criticized exactly on that point of painting herself as the victim so you would think that like she would want to take the documentary in a more like active role like and have her be like you know like basically owning up to all of her Mm -hmm. actions and like her role and everything that has happened in her life because she has created her empire so like she should also own up to all the things she Mm -hmm. hasn't done both reclaiming that narrative and also taking accountability for it right right and again i think why i just want to reiterate why it's so it felt so it almost felt like a betrayal specifically from coming from her because again what we talked about before how we grew up with her and felt so close to her right so we felt entitled as her fans to this other piece of her and when she didn't match our expectations as we were also growing up into our own political identities and she wasn't matching our own growth then it felt like well that's like kind of what happens when you have friends who grow you grow up with you and you don't end up aligning on political beliefs and it, it does feel like a betrayal because you feel like you knew them so yeah, well yeah absolutely and more on the point of what i was saying earlier with like my coming into my political self and realizing that she was still remaining apolitical that was kind of right to the point that you were saying that was kind of that point of reckoning where I was like oh she's not actually on my side or she's not actually Mm -hmm. at the end of the day advocating for me she can speak to my experiences about heartbreak and loving someone who doesn't love you back but (laughs) when my body and my rights are on the line I don't know if she has my back you know Alright, so a little bit of a story time for y'all. Once upon a time, I was dating a guy who was really into music. Um, And naturally, he would ask me all the time what I was listening to, what I was into. And unapologetically, I would tell him that I listened to Taylor Swift and would put her on all the time. And I cannot even encapsulate in words, you guys, how much he hated Taylor Swift truly abhorred the woman um and of course this was such a big point of contention for me because I grew up with her I you know lived by her songs and she's such um a big part of why I am a love poet or have written so much love poetry in the past so as a result as any young girl does 
I stopped listening to Taylor Swift for like two years after that because I felt such shame for liking someone that he hated, even after we broke up. So my question for you, Anushka, is why the heck is Taylor Swift such a controversial figure? Well, what a question. (laughs) Um, I have really been grappling with this recently because I think I've finally come to terms with, you know, the progression of who she is and the fact that I can critique her and also still love her. Like, I think that's like a really... Nuance exists in life. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, But I do think that like we view celebrities very like one-dimensionally and like obviously that like reeks of cancel culture, but um, a conversation for another time. But I immediately, when you say that, I think back also to this time in my life when I was anti-Taylor Swift and I thought it was so cool to hate on her. And I think honestly, every Taylor Swift fan has, if not publicly gone through that phase, internally felt that way. And again, felt shame for liking her music or just outright like denying liking her because she was either A, so mainstream, um, B, she seemed shallow for some reason in comparison to other artists right like there are so like basically all like majority of music i would say that is popular especially is about love but for some reason Mm -hmm. with her music people just again thought that it was like very shallow and like i there's something to that um but yeah so i think it's interesting that she was discredited so much for singing about love Yeah, absolutely. And I think to that point, even, how much does it have to do with the fact that she broke into the industry so early Mm -hmm. and really branded herself as, hi, I'm a country artist who sings about love, um, as a young girl who maybe doesn't know anything about the world or is super naive. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that in general when women talk about their emotions they're very quickly written off because women are seen as hysterical or emotional or you know not rational beings ha 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 um (laughs) and i think that she's such a perfect example of that i think that people didn't want to take her seriously despite how universal a lot of the things that she was saying were And maybe we weren't willing to accept or other people weren't willing to accept that wisdom could come from such a young girl Mm -hmm. who was just writing about love. Yeah, it's it's crazy, too, because I was just thinking about how honestly my hatred didn't even come from her not being political because that was before like I had my I hate Taylor Swift fan before I had Mm -hmm. my like political reckoning so to speak like I think I was still in the midst of it so this was probably like late high school I would say or sometime in high school I really can't keep up with the timelines now but um yeah it's it's interesting because it's like the valid critiques that I do have of her like weren't even related to me hating her it was literally like this internalized misogyny of like everybody else telling me like it wasn't cool to like her so therefore it's really interesting I'm also thinking about this one point in the documentary that she said about 
you know, a typical thing for people who come into fame really early is to be frozen into that age that they became famous at and Mm -hmm. aren't really given this opportunity to grow up. And I think for me, maybe as well, some of it, in addition to her being apolitical and me being really bothered by that, is this notion that the songs that she was writing were still feeding us those mainstream tenets about love, these ideals that we were supposed to live by, that is the girl that you don't belong with, you belong with me, you suck as a person, you dumped me, you hurt me. Um, And I think that maybe for me also not seeing the nuance in those relationships in a point in time where I was starting to see those in my life and work through them also kind of alienated me from her because I felt like maybe I was growing up from those ideals and she was still spoon-feeding them to me. Yeah, definitely. And all along those lines of growing up, I think we also grew up as, like not to be like we live in a society but like we grew up through the internet age and those people who like really intook so much media and consumed so much media through the internet were also really growing up and realizing that you know there's been a pattern i think in the early internet age where you could literally hate on anything you wanted and not be called out for it like you could just say whatever you wanted about whoever you wanted and it was like a crazy time in the internet era honestly like i think now people are very like careful about what they say or you know people are getting canceled left and right um and honestly bashing was like the norm back then like i think and especially bashing on like teenage girls and what art they liked basically like if you think about how much there was how much people bashed on twilight when rebecca black became viral like that girl was literally demonized and all she did was make a video like a fun music video with her friends like wow crazy but but you would think that like she committed murder or something Mm -hmm. so like it's really interesting because i think we also grew up too right like we realized like maybe there's a pattern here and maybe there is something about um basically vilifying anything that like a young women like and appreciate and clearly young women are like a very powerful like capitalist mm-hmm. force as well because they they are buying all of this merch like and making her so much money so people feel threatened by women having so much power <laughs> Yeah, I mean, do you think that she's being taken seriously now? Do you think that after she had that political awakening, she's been able to be relevant or palatable even in a different way that she hasn't been in the past, maybe to larger audiences, maybe not just teenage girls and other people being able to have the balls to be like, yeah, I fuck with Taylor Swift. (laughs) um that's a good question I think it's interesting because while I really do appreciate the fact that she has taken up a political identity it's kind of hard now because I would say that recently 
her political identity has definitely taken a turn. Like, in the past year, I'm talking pre-folklore, because I don't think, I think there's a lot of nuance in folklore that we haven't seen before. Um, but I would say, especially with the release of Lover, like, bef all of the, the singles that led up to that, and specifically the music video for You Need to Calm Down, was, like, crazy, because now she was, like, asserting so many political, like, stances, which she had never so, like, aggressively or publicly done before. And I hate to say it, but I really felt like I saw a turn where and not for the better, unfortunately, but like a turn where she was no longer just advocating for specifically queer rights, but she was kind of capitalizing and commodifying um, what it meant to be like an ally and a supporter of LGBTQ rights. And like personally, like especially being like a bisexual slash pansexual like woman, like I definitely felt like it rubbed me the wrong way because it felt like, oh my gosh, I should finally be happy. Like, I'm happy. I should be happy that she's finally, you know, proudly being like, yes, gay rights. But at the same time, when I watched that video, I think, you know, maybe younger kids did feel like supported and seen by that. Um, but personally, for me, I just felt like, you know, being older and having a little bit more like nuance to who she is and who I am is I just felt like. It was this big, like, I don't know, capitalist setup. Like, I, I think she released the video during Pride Month, first of all, um, which is very just overly commodified right now. And she also, like, had all of these other people in the music, like, so many celebrity cameos in that video that were basically just, like, saying stamps of approval, I'm doing the right thing, like, this is genuine. And... Honestly, whether or not it was genuine, it just seemed to me like she still had not done the education. Like, there was a scene in the documentary where um, she was asking the people of Queer Eye, um, she was asking them basically like, oh, what can I do to help? Like, I really want to help. And you saw that, like, earnestness on her face. But the reality is, like, they're not, like, the spokespeople. Like, while they are huge, like, role models for people in the community, like, they're not experts, right? They're just queer people living and trying to, like, do their best to change the industry. But, like, it felt kind of like... It's kind of... To me, it seemed kind of like now when people are like, oh, I, I really want to, like, be a part of Black Lives Matter and then going to your Black friend and asking them, what can I do to help? When it's clearly not their responsibility and also they're not going to know all the answers. Like, you should be doing that deep internal um, work yourself, I think. Right. I definitely think that especially with the You Need to Calm Down music video, it just reeked of insincerity. It really reeked of, like, rainbow capitalism. I think that... Um, for as much as folklore and her love songs are so sincere and so vulnerable, you can tell how much she was forcing the song to be about mm -hmm. gay rights. Like, fam, if it's about Katy Perry tweeting you, then it's about Katy Perry <laughs> tweeting you. And, like, that's okay and we'll, like, <laughs> support you in that pettiness. But I think that when you are trying to mold something so much 
into something that you clearly don't know much about. You can tell so much when you're when someone is speaking on something that they don't know a lot about, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, and it, I do have to say, like, you can have your art be one thing and your political self also materialize in absolutely. other ways. Like, it doesn't have to just funnel through your art. Like, you can talk about political things in your art and you should. Like, obviously, personal is political, but you're not going to be able to encompass all political social mm-hmm. justice issues in your songs like maybe you'll talk about one thing that you re- resonate with and is very personal to you but then outside you can be donating exactly. to organizations of course it's great that she is branding herself as an <laughs> branding herself as an ally <laughs> to the lgbtq community right now but i think there's also this really ugly underside of it um or underbelly of it, where the queer community is now looking for validation from her, maybe in places that it doesn't Mm -hmm. even, it isn't even there. And I think that, obviously, as a queer woman, you can speak a lot more to this, but I think that even, there's been a lot of, you know, reviews on, like, Bitch Media and Vulture right now about the queer community kind of grasping at straws, um, in Taylor's songwriting, whether it be from past albums or on folklore, about being like, is this queer? Is this love story queer? Like, can <laughs> I relate to this? And I think that that could also be a little damaging. I think that, of course, you can speak to that a lot more. Yeah, no, that is... Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, g- growing up in a very heteronormative world, like, it's sad that like queer people have to like somehow mold these narratives that they're seeing to like fit one tiny inch of themselves in it um to feel like they're being seen and heard and it just sucks that like after such a public declaration i think of being in support of gay rights that on this album like it low-key felt like queer painting (laughs) with like the whole like theory about the three songs that were interconnected um cardigan august and betty and how that was basically like three people who were involved in this tumultuous relationship in different ways and a lot of people were speculating because the names were kind of ambiguous gender ambiguous like in you know very like traditional gender (laughs) roles or whatever um people were speculating that maybe this was like a gay love story and like oh my gosh but to me it was just like she could not even just say what it was like she still felt uncomfortable and she still felt like i'm just gonna mask it and hope that people get it or like people can interpret it this way but people can still interpret it in the safe way that i've been producing my music for the last 10 years which is a heteronormative love story which does very commercially well so it's like you can't make everything go Mm -hmm. both ways like i yeah it was just kind of disappointing to me like while i do love the album a lot i just yeah that really rubbed me the wrong way of people just really reclaiming this as a queer album it's like okay the gays have always loved their pop stars but that doesn't mean that like she's writing our history or our stories yeah and i think that especially with betty the fact that james is supposed to be an androgynous figure potentially (laughs) male potentially female 
And the fact that the evangelical right can come after and be like, what is this gayness? And then her being like, oh, no, 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 no. James is a boy. And, like, having it be... Having it up to interpretation in that way that makes her safe as a celebrity and as an artist. And I think that that kind of wraps up into this last point that she said in her documentary where she kind of hinted at this notion of time running out with her fame and her celebrity and people Mm. supporting her and she said she wants to be successful while society is still tolerating her um do you have any thoughts on that Anushka? yeah i think unfortunately as a female artist like who is in her early 30s like now she is you know her supposedly time is running out for her as an icon even though she's very much established herself as like someone who can continue to evolve and grow as an artist um and will clearly be churning out albums like no other um it's yeah it's definitely sad yeah and i think that what's particularly sad is she's made it very clear that she has really created this life and this larger-than-life notion about her based on external validation, you know? And similar to the way that we ask, what is Taylor Swift gonna do when she finally is happy with her love life? I think a similar question is now being posed of what is Taylor Swift gonna do if she's not in the limelight anymore and who is she gonna be? Right, and like, what does your art even look like if you've always been looking for external and writing for external validation um, when you're no longer doing that? Like, what are you left with, basically? Like, if you've had such a, like, curated um, artistry based around, like, pleasing people, like, who, how are you going to please yourself at the end of the day and what are you going to be happy with in your own work? Like, I still don't really know honestly what it is specifically about her like I I just think personally that everybody just has again this entitlement about an opinion of her like people just feel so personally vindicated one way or the other yeah and I think that we're really just never gonna get to the bottom of it and that's okay I think at the end of the day we also have to realize that these are all projections onto her as a Mm -hmm. figure and not even her as a person none of us know her as a real person so (laughs) she's allowed to have all the nuances that she has and maybe we'll never see them Alrighty, welcome to our Nook segment where we're gonna bring you into a little bit more of our inner thoughts and feelings. Um, if you'd like to ask us a question, you can email us at thebrowngirlsjournalpod at gmail.com. Again, that's thebrowngirlsjournalpod at gmail.com. But for this week, in the spirit of Taylor Swift and writing about exes and people who have wronged them, um, We are going to answer the prompt, you hurt me, but thank you for blank. So Anushka, take it away. Well, personally, I have never actually been in a official 
quote-unquote romantic relationship um, that was with labels. Um, and it's not to discredit my love life or anything. Um, I'm gonna take this question a different route and say... Hell yeah. <laughs> and say that um, college hurt me, but mm. thank you for allowing me to grow. Um, <laughs> thanks for that degree. Yeah, man, thanks for the creds. Um, <laughs> academic credit for por- personal growth. <laughs> but no, I think... Um, like a lot of people, um, college can be kind of a, like, rocket launch of growth for yourself Mm -hmm. and your identity in so many ways, and definitely, like, even my relationship with my academic self. I think I, before, really all of my self-worth was in my academic self Mm -hmm. as a student, because I, I think that's, like, for a lot of us like we all like grow up going to school um if we can and that kind of makes up all your waking hours right and so and especially because I I had really strong close friendships but I didn't have really romantic relationships and so I was even more you know I like threw myself into like school and like all of that because that's like what I was focusing on and I think I had a really toxic relationship with school and college, Mm. like, especially towards the beginning, honestly, like, throughout college, but it kind of evolved, and I, yeah, I felt like if I wasn't succeeding academically, then, like, who was I, really? And that sucked a lot, because I think in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, when I'm looking back at, like, Rex for grad school, which I like think for right now I definitely think I want to do in the future it kind of sucks because I'm like I don't even know honestly what teachers would be able to give me good recs Mm. because even if they like me as people I honestly was not a great student a lot of the times and that's a huge insecurity for me now but like I do feel like I now view being a scholar as so much part of my identity because I learned that I truly do love learning but that academic setting was just so damaging to like how I even functioned as like an academic and I wasn't allowed any space or room to breathe I was just really suffocated in like trying to like keep up with like such a rigorous like course load and also keep up like the facade of a social life (laughs) um and somehow maintaining both of them but I do think throughout all of that like throughout all of my like mental health issues and all of that like and I'm not saying like you can just work through mental health issues and poof they're gone but I do think I've grown so 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 much in like who I am and seeking validation like not only in school and also Mm -hmm. just you know really learning how to take care of myself through like depressive episodes and through like being able to ask for help that was like a huge thing so yeah thank you college not for the bad times but for making me learn how to get through those bad times Yeah, I think that goes so seamlessly into all of our conversations today about external validation and being in such an intense environment where one part of yourself becomes the only thing that matters almost. Mm. And I think that we also forget that college is like 
four years of our life if not more you know and life isn't just this bubble of a campus where you just take tests and write essays and whatever get grades like life also happens outside of that and I think that we are taught to not be gentle with ourselves yeah what would you say is your answer to this question Rodlin (laughs) um all right so on the opposite side of the spectrum (laughs) I guess this is why we're friends um as someone who is perpetually dating people or hung up over people or pining after people I definitely have a nice little repertoire (laughs) of people I could pick for this um or experiences I can pick from, I think that I will choose one significant relationship that I've had in the past um, where I think that person really helped me believe in my own brilliance. Um, Again, kind of the notion of external validation I think in the past I've really gotten a lot of my self-worth from other people from guys that I've dated but I think in this particular relationship um my talents I guess and the ways in which I do shine were really brought to my own attention which I guess I never really paid attention to because I was so busy defining myself by the people that I was with and Mm. whether or not I was in a romantic relationship and this person kind of like (laughs) stood me in front of a mirror and was like hey look at all these wonderful things about you and these are not only the reasons that I love you but these are the reasons that you should love yourself and you should believe in yourself and like that person is no longer in my life but I I definitely still hold on to all those things that he saw in me and made them things that I now see in myself um so maybe an unconventional journey into self-love through another person but I think the end goal is still the same um and it's been really valuable so you hurt me but thank you for allowing me to see my own sparkle oh that was very sweet and I think that goes for so many things in our lives This podcast was written and produced by Radhlin May Banting and Anushka Dar. Audio edited by Anushka Dar and marketing done by Radhlin May Banting. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Brown Girls Journal. That's B-R-W-N-G-R-L-S Journal. Background music provided by Epidemic Sound. And our logo was illustrated by Molly Caroline Designs. Thank you for listening and keep an eye out for our next episode in two weeks. We'll see you there.